You are listening to a conservative review production. Trust, but verify. You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. You know what? I decided to do something different. After having our first interview live on the Conservative Conscience earlier this week, I decided to do a second podcast. Because frankly, there was so much to say, and obviously I couldn't say it with our guest on. We spent most of the time with Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest from North Carolina going over this insanity of transgender bathrooms, eradicating the difference between males and females. And You know, I wanted to really expand on that podcast and that issue to speak broadly about what has happened this week in Congress. What is happening with our lack of of, of an opposition party? How we got here? Why we got here? Why all this news about Trump meeting with Paul Ryan, which is 100% of the news story this, this week and, you know, later in this week? why that is irrelevant, why it doesn't matter, why we are completely done with unless we chart a new path. And to reiterate what I think that new path is, tall order to get in in the next 25 minutes or or, or so, but we're going solo. I got, you know, Joe Koss uh, is on vacation, so it's just me today. This is Friday, May 13th, Friday the 13th. A lot of people believe it's an omen for bad luck, and I think we, we got pretty bad luck as conservatives the last couple months, and frankly, the last couple decades. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you go back to our two-party system for, for much of our lifetime, certainly last two generations or so, there was a certain natural detente between the two parties, where Democrats knew as much as they could push social transformation, there's a limit to how much they could do it. There's a limit to how much the country would let them get away with it. There's a limit to how much the opposing party would let them get away with it. And likewise, Republicans certainly knew there's a limit to how much they could roll back the size of government, how much they can get away with it because of the dependency, because of the aggressiveness of the other party. It's kind of a certain inherent strength of the two sides in American politics that just create this stalemate. Now, I would argue it was never a stalemate. It was never 50-50. You know, let's say on a scale of, you know, liberty and tyranny, um, civil society to social licentiousness, cultural Marxism, whatever you want to call it, scale from one being the radical left, 100 being conservative, you know, we were never 50-50. We were always 35-65, but 35 nonetheless. Right now, we are teetering at a zero. The Democrats have successfully shifted the entire universe of the political spectrum in a matter of just a few years, and they're getting away with it, and there's no opposition. I think what has happened is, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, aren't Republicans more conservative? A lot of them are more conservative than they used to be. Yeah, but the Democrats are more radical than they've, than they've ever been. 
certainly as it relates to just sheer humanity, sheer, I don't don't even want to call it social issues, because a man being a man and a woman being a woman is not a social issue, it's not a religious issue, it's science, it's common sense, it's basic humanity, basic civilization, Um, you know, it it just makes no sense. But Democrats, until even this past generation, there were certain bedrock things they, they agreed to. They understood religious liberty. They understood a man was a man, a woman was a woman. They understood a marriage was a marriage. They understood the need for law and order, borders, tough on crime. These were bipartisan issues. We argued over so uh, fiscal policy, subsidies, wage mandates, things like that, entitlements. But you know, at, at its core, many Democrats weren't basket cases. I noted on the last podcast when I was talking with the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, um, his chief opponent there, the attorney general, who's a Democrat, Rory Cooper, look, he, he was a law and order guy until the Obama years. He, and now he became a transgender free case, fruitcake. <laughs> this is how quickly the social transformation has occurred. And how it has occurred, I think, is that this radical 3%, call it your, your, your radical professors, your radical licentious Hollywood folks, your radicals in the media, they happen to control all the information dissemination, they control all the respected institutions, and they control our body politic. Why? They control it because they have completely taken over the Democrat Party. So that, you know, that happened over a generation you cannot run as a Democrat and not be in support of the most radical, absurd things that even the liberals of yesteryear would have been appalled. They couldn't have even conjured up such notions. Then what happened was, you know, again, going back to that detente, that, you know, 50-50, which was never really 50-50. We, we were always on the inexorable path, inexorable march towards despotism but it it was in baby steps. It was the frog in the boiling pot of water that was a slow a slow boil. You know, here in my home state of Maryland, you say slow boil of crabs, where the crab doesn't realize what's happening to it, and you know Americans didn't realize what was happening to all of us. This inexorable march towards socialism, towards social utopia, cult- cultural Marxism, which at its root is destroying the family. Obama and, and the Obama-era Democrats realized, they, they had a certain hypothesis. They said, you know what? What would happen if we punch a hole in the wall? I bet there's nothing behind that drywall. And Obama just went in and, and just punched. And he saw there was no response from the Republicans. And he punched again. And there was still no response. And he punched again. And he realized at some point, whether it was fiscal, social, national security, borders, Long-standing alliances, long-standing enemies, befriending enemies and, and alienating allies. He could do it, and there would be no out- outcry. Yeah, you know, one or two Republicans will release a press release, maybe do a media appearance or two and complain about it. But fundamentally, they would do nothing to roll this back. And that's how we've gotten to a point where 3% first controlled 50%, the entire Democrat Party, and now they essentially control 100% of our politics because no matter what they do, there is no opposition. And in fact, they now get Republicans to support it. What am I referring to? Let's take stock of what has happened this week in Congress. You know, 
this wasn't just the transgender bathrooms. As I noted, it's not just about bathrooms. It's not just about North Carolina. This is about eradicating any difference between a man and a female, a man and a woman. And and I want you guys to just step back and conjugate this for a moment. Think in your mind, 30 seconds, what that means. Think of the ramifications. Understand what a man is and what a woman is. You know, there's all different types of men. There's all different types of women. But at its core, certainly in a macro sense, there are men and there are women. And that is one of the most immutable dichotomies created, dating back to human creation by God. You can't get anything more fixed biologically than that. When you start changing that in the public realm, in the realm of public policy, in the realm of law, in the realm of politics, in the realm of our our society, there's no end to the pernicious consequences that will arise from that. So one of the consequences that's playing out this week, and I can't believe I'm the only one that has so far reported this at Conservative Review. Thank God Mark Levin has mentioned this, and that's why you guys got to listen to his show. Sign up for LevinTV.com. His TV show has been phenomenal this week, um, really talking about some of these systemic issues that we, we, we talk about at Conservative Review and write about at ConservativeReview.com. Become a CR insider, by the way, because you you will be armed with this information. So everyone's talking about all this week. Oh, did Paul Ryan and 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 Donald Trump make love together? Did they did they make peace? And it doesn't matter. It's all one big oligarchy. Paul Ryan doesn't care. He's a he's a big liberal. The Democrats are licentious liberals, and Donald Trump's a Manhattan liberal. None of that's going to change until we change our party from bottom up. Until we restore our republic with with some systemic reforms that Mark Levin has been pushing. I've been pushing them, and I want to get to them at the end of this podcast. But the biggest news story of the week, and and you'll only find this at Conservative Review, and you you could tell I'm almost equivocating because I am shocked that this is not national news. Speaking of Democrats moving 50 years' worth of battle lines between the parties overnight at at the snap of a finger in one committee markup, John McCain, the Republican chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, snuck into a 1,000-page defense bill, the Annual National Defense Authorization Act, which authorizes all the defense programs, and everyone's certainly all supportive of that, and it always passes. It's viewed as a must-pass legislation. He snuck in a provision to mandate that all young girls, women in this country who turn 18, just like men, have to register for the draft known as selective service. Now, I understand you're going to tell me, oh, that it's a joke. We don't really have a draft. First of all, the way things are going, with the strategic mistakes we're making on an international level, it wouldn't surprise me if we'll be forced to have a draft in, in the near future, given the problems we have and the lack of you know, military assets we have and certainly personnel and, and troops. But it, it, the principle of the matter, I remember in a, back, back in the early 90s when, you know, this whole women in combat movement was starting. Every step of the way, there was opposition. You know, when they wanted to make female fighter pilots, that was a big fight. It took several years. And even though conservatives lost that, they made the Democrats pay dearly for it. And they could only get incremental changes at once. Obama came in there and just integrated women into combat, now into the Army Rangers. He's talking about female Navy SEALs. It's funny. We used to 
try to illustrate absurdity by exaggerating and say, heh, one day we're going to have pregnant female Navy SEALs. You know what? That's not a joke anymore. That 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 is real. That is exactly where Obama and his terrible political generals are headed. And that's another discussion we have to get into at some point, what Obama has done to the military command, and that has to be flushed out at some point. And, you know, it's about time someone get Donald Trump start to start talking about that. So much for the anti-PC man. I haven't seen him talk about this version of PC. But anyway, to draft women in the military. So there's one thing we're talking about women all over the combat zone. Now we're talking about women integrated into the Marine combat units, direct ground combat. Now we're talking about special forces. But in one markup, John McCain, you know, we always ask, when's the, where's the floor? Where is the bottom of this social engineering? Well, John McCain just went, he, he just shot for the moon in one shot. I guess the, the, the bottom, the, the, the most pernicious social transformation you could ever get is making the volunteer social engineering, you know, women who want to volunteer for combat, making that man- mandatory. I mean, it's bad enough to say that, oh, let's let's experiment having women in combat. So many problems with that. But to now mandate that potentially if we do reinstate a draft by having all women just like men go and volunteer for selective service, and it's not volunteer, I'm sorry, let, let me correct the record, require that they that they um register when they turn 18 this is a country not worth fighting for i've always believed that a country that sends its women out w- women out to fight for it instead of protecting its women is a country not worth fighting for but now we're not just sending them out on a voluntary basis john mccain wants to pave the road to mandate a draft of women. So even if you have these women that, oh, I want to be tough, I want to be like a man, well, what about the women who don't? What about the women who want to be women? What about them? You're going to force them in? What what sort of a barbaric country are we? This is, again, a moment that you got to pull the fire alarm. Time out. What is going on here? And yet that was snuck into a 1,000-page bill because John McCain was too much of a coward to have this debate out as a standalone in public. So he puts it in a must-pass legislation. And from what I hear, more Republicans on committee, when when uh, Senator Lee advanced an amendment to, stri- to strike this provision, supported by Ted Cruz as well in this endeavor to strike this provision to draft women, more Republicans and every single Democrat voted with McCain. So a majority of not just the Senate and the House, but Congress, it's, but, but of the Republicans in Congress, support a mandatory draft for women. And again, this comes off the heels of Republicans doing nothing to fight back against the DOJ lawsuit against North Carolina for keeping men and women bathrooms, locker rooms, dormitories, showers separate in, in a public setting, even, even private forum, in addition to that, next week, the first act of the Republican-controlled Senate will be to vote for, to confirm a district judge for the District of Baltimore, nonetheless, Baltimore, where they're, they're currently prosecuting cops for doing their job. And I've written about this before. I'll put it in the show notes so you guys could see it, how they have suspended their fourth 5th, 6th, and 14th Amendment rights. I mean, 
trial by by jury of their peers, um, a speedy trial, the, the you know double jeopardy, forcing cops to to uh, testify against each other, against themselves, while while their own charges are pending, their own trials are pending. I mean, the stuff that I've seen, you know, legal scholars have told me they have never seen it before. So that's what's going on in Baltimore. So you certainly don't want to confirm a federal judge for the district that oversees Baltimore, someone who is anti-cop. Well, that is what they are doing. They're going to confirm a liberal anti-cop um, judge. Her last name is Zinnis. Confirm her to this district judgeship, a Republican majority. Again, we do not have a Republican party. And by the way, another thing, just randomly, what they did this week, they passed a bill funding the Department of Energy, which shouldn't even exist, at higher spending levels than what Obama requested. Let that seep in for you. So getting back to Donald Trump, to the presidential election, we don't, Trump or no Trump, we don't have a Republican party. There is nothing left. There is no Republican Party. There's no conservative voice. The few conservative voices you have are drowned out. They're too busy with their committee work, their constituent work. Um, Ted Cruz is really, you know, he came out with a statement. We highlighted it on our website where he, uh, you know, said he, he voted against this defense bill, even though he he felt it adopted some of his good stuff on national security. But how could we in good conscience, draft women into in, into the military. So he's he's back in the fight, but you know it's it's tough coming off of a year of the presidential campaign trail. It's it's a slow uh, acclimation back into the Senate. We do not have any men on the field to fight. And whether in worst case scenario Donald Trump winds up being a dictator, a licentious individual like he is, a just just terrible human being. Or best case scenario that he's just your garden variety rhino liberal Republican. Either way, it's not going to make a difference. Either way, what we are doing is not working. Again, I want that to seep in. Mandatory draft of women. Eradicating all differences between men and women. That is a universal belief of every single elected Democrat. Whether on the courts whether in the bureaucracies, whether elected state legislatures or, or on a federal level in Congress, non, non-governmental organizations, this is what the left believes. And yet there is almost not a single individual in the Republican Party at any level that will combat this. You know, we, we spoke about on our last podcast how the lieutenant governor in North Carolina, along with some other Republicans, there were among the few state Republican parties that were actually fighting back against this. There's something wrong here. Why aren't people waking up? Like I said, I'm young. I'm 31 years old. In case all you guys wanted to know how old I am. I'm not 70, 80 80 years old. And I, I still remember a time when none of this stuff existed. And we couldn't even imagine it existing. And yet the Democrats have won this without firing a shot. And they will continue to do so until we have a new party. It can't get any worse than it is now. Now, you're going to ask me, how do we start this third party? Um, Look, like anything, it's not going to happen overnight. Unfortunately, like we said, Democrats, liberals could win 50-year culture wars overnight like they did with this female draft provision. 
but we're not going to take it back overnight. That's the sad reality. The, the forces of good in this world are just much weaker than the forces of evil. But we have to try. And first, we have to be operate as a third party within the Republican Party. Now, how do we do that? This gets back to something I wrote about two weeks ago, and we, we you know discussed with, with my co-host Joe Koss as well, this notion of moving primaries to state conventions. The reason we are where we are is because we don't have representation. We don't have representatives who will fight the courts, who will fight the bureaucracies, who will fight the left, who will fight the social transformation without representation that we're seeing here. Well, why don't we have elected representatives? Well, okay, half the country is lost. Demographics, the education problems, the blue states, we can't get them. Well, we say, okay, well, at least 50, 60% are red states. We should be able to have 50 to 55 senators who are good, you know, more than 218 majority in the House who are good. What about in the red states? Don't the voters agree with us? All the polling shows that they're mad at the Republican establishment. That's why they supposedly elected Trump, even though Trump's not who they think he is. Well, that's the good news. The people are with us, by and large, on the issues. Like we explained in some of our previous broadcasts here, we're winning on the issues, but we can't convert it. We can't connect the dots to the individuals. And that is because we have elective despotism. We have these open primaries where everyone just votes and they don't know who they're voting for. And it's on a presidential or Senate level, it's whoever the media supports. It's whoever has the most money to put up scandalous ads lying, saying how they're conservatives and how our guys aren't or our guys are a bunch of dirtbags. Um, you know, on House races, it's about who the incumbent is. The incumbents always win. They have the name ID. They have the media support. They have the money. Our guys can never get in there. We need to switch to representative state conventions. The beauty of state conventions is they're not oligarchies. It's not like you have to be a lawyer. You have to be a professional politico to, to get involved. Anyone could get involved. You could You could go to your precinct meeting to elect a delegate to go to your state convention. And those are the people who will be voting for the House member, the, the the Republican House nominee, the Republican Senate nominee. And eventually, I think it, we should go to this as, for, for the presidential election as well, like we do have in a couple of states. We should do this in every state. The media machine is, is suddenly meaningless because you're dealing with people who understand who the people are. They know the issues. They know the politics. They know if the guy's a fraud. It's Nothing's going to be perfect. It's going to have its own share of problems. But by and large, we will be able to kick out dozens of House incumbents per cycle, win maybe five, seven, eight Senate seats per cycle. That's how we change things. That's the great equalizer. And, you know, Mark Levin has been pushing a lot of systemic reforms through the, the Convention of the States. We need to be doing that, and, and I'm a big advocate of that. But, you know, again, that's that's long-term. That's very difficult. You need two-thirds of the states to agree to go to convention and then eventually three-quarters of the states to change the Constitution. That That's very tough. In this case, it can be done statutorily in each state legislature. You just need a, a majority. Let's start with just the 10 most conservative states. Let's start with Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Mississippi, Alabama, some of the states in the South and the Great Plains, some of the Rocky Mountain states that we already control. I mean, when I say we Republicans do, switch over to a Utah or Colorado style convention. 
And that way, we could elect maybe 15 good senators, maybe 45 to 60 good House members. And they'll be Republicans. But then we will reach critical mass and have a third party operating within the Republican Party. You know what? Then we could bind together and have a platform. And go move on to other states. And then maybe we could start winning primaries and general elections as opposed to you know just state conventions in the primaries. We got to start from somewhere. But we, we have to first level the playing field. And we don't have to do it all in one shot. You pick the most conservative states, change the election laws. Heck, you know, these states that are scrapped for, for cash and they have budget problems. You save money on elections. You don't have to hold widespread primaries. State conventions are much cheaper. And... Let, let, let's do that. I look forward to in the coming days, you know, laying out some of the specifics, maybe how we, you know, where and how we start this process. But, you know, tweet, tweet me, arm conservative, you know, send me messages. Let me know if you have better ideas. You know, we're all open to ideas. We're in this together. I, I, I'd love to, you know, share with you guys. Email me, tweet me, Facebook me, um, drop some comments on this podcast or the post. Let me know what you think. But it has to start with the recognition that what we're doing is not working. We do not have a party, irrespective of whether you're going to vote for Trump or not Trump. It doesn't mean anything. Um, We're not going to save this party in the long run if we don't work towards reforming the process. And again, the good news is I think if we have a guy who runs on on our platform, he can win if you work around the media filter and you work around the need to raise $5 million to get your your name ID through the thick skulls of low information voters. It works inversely with being a man close to the people because you're not going to have that money or be able to raise that money, except in rare you know exceptions, rare cases. So this is why we need to go to state conventions, and that way, you know. And look, I understand the grassroots in each state is very divided. That that's part partly why. We're so much worse off than the, the liberal grassroots. They're united. The left, you know, they they're they're singularly focused on utopianism, on socialism. By by their very nature, they they march in goose step and lockstep. Conservatives are very much independent thinkers. They're individuals. They think as individuals. It's hard to corral all, all our guys to even agree on one strategy or issue. You got your libertarians, you got your social conservatives, you got your people who support Trump, people who supported Cruz, but it doesn't matter. All of us need to recognize we're not going to be able to get in any of these guys if we do not move to state conventions. So let's bind together in our 10 most conservative states. Let's push over the next three, four years to change election laws state by state. It could be done with simple majorities in support of the governor, say we're going to save money, we're going to have representative democracy, not pure democracy, which is exactly what our founders would have wanted anyway. And this is how we really get in outsiders. This is how true grassroots outsiders will win once we have 15 Ted Cruz's in the Senate, once we have 60 Ted Cruz's in the House in these southern Great Plains states that were able to change these election laws. At that point, it will become crystal clear. Either we take over the party by our sheer strength or we'll have enough to then move over and start a third party. It's not going to happen overnight, but we have to at least have the will and desire to pursue some sort of process along these lines 
because I could guarantee you what we're doing is not working. Anyway, we're, we're about out of time here. So much more to talk about. I'm really heartwarmed by some of the messages I'm getting from you guys. It, it Honestly, I'm, I'm drained. You could tell I'm, I'm pretty exhausted after these weeks, after this year of fighting, this presidential election, these legislative battles, these electoral battles, these judiciary battles. But my promise to you is as long as you guys are, are with us, you guys are working on a grassroots level, I'm going to continue fighting to serve as a voice for all of you guys that sometimes feel like you don't have a voice and no one's listening to you. Um, I, I want to try to be that person together with our staff at Conservative Review, Review under the leadership of the great one, Mark Levin. As always, sign up for LevinTV.com. Do me a favor, personal plug for my book, Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. Pre-order at, at, at Amazon.com or at WorldNetDaily, WND Books, my, my dear publisher, Mark Levin has been so kind and generous to, generous to write the foreword to my book, so you'd you know, certainly be excited to read that. It will come out officially in mid-July. Can't wait for it. Let's work together. Let's take back our country together. This is our constitution. This is our movement. These are our people. We're in the right. We're the ones following the traditions of our forefathers. We're the ones following basic science of humanity, of men and women, of marriage, of law and order. It's not It's not these punks. These punks aren't going to win. We're going to win in the long run. Thank you for listening to this second edition of our podcast this week. God bless. This is The Conservative Conscience.